Welcome back to the Someone to Tell To podcast. You're in for a real treat today. We've often used the phrase that when we listen to other people's stories, we're walking on holy ground. And today we literally and figuratively are walking on holy ground here in central Pennsylvania. Uh, this is just a profound conversation with our first ever indigenous woman uh, on the program. And, and you're just going to really enjoy this time together. We learned a lot. Um, and in, in some cases, embarrassed to say how little perhaps we knew. I'll speak for myself, you know, the things that I did not know. And uh, Marisa, uh, you know, just certainly has shared a lot and, so, you know, a lot to take in. And we're so grateful for her, for what the work that she does and the, and the awareness she brings uh, to, to indigenous peoples and their history and their, their current problems and struggles and needs and so we hope that all of you who are listening will and watching will find this to be uh, uh, just a wonderful a wonderful conversation about people who have not always been listened to uh, at all in this country and and in so many other countries around the world so we um, are grateful that you're joining us on the someone to tell a two podcast today so Let's tell you about our guest. Our guest today, Marisa Page, writes this about herself. I am a citizen of the Pawnee Nation of Oklahoma and descend from the Ponca and Comanche tribes. I currently work for First Nations Development Institute as a development officer, focusing on individual planned and major gifts. Before joining the FNDI team, I spent my professional tenure working and advocating for indigenous peoples throughout the United States and around the world through various organizations. My experience includes leadership development, STEM education, and community organizing. I am a skilled grant writer and have many years in program development and implementation. I received two associate's degrees from Central New Mexico Community College, a Bachelor of Arts in Anthropology from the University of New Mexico, and a Master of Legal Studies with a focus in Indigenous Peoples Law from the University of Oklahoma. Marisa lives in the Albuquerque, Santa Fe metropolitan area of New Mexico today, and we're so grateful to have her with us. We use Buzzsprout to create this podcast, and as a small nonprofit team, we really appreciate how easy they make it to get our guests' stories out into the world. With Buzzsprout, you get a beautiful podcast website, audio players to embed into other sites, detailed analytics, tools to promote your episodes, and so much more. Use the link in the show notes to get a $20 Amazon gift card when you sign up for a paid plan and to support our show. As the co-founders of Someone to Tell To, we often find ourselves traveling around between meetings and listening sessions, and we often don't really have time for the little things like grocery shopping. I'm sure many of you have had that experience when at the end of a long workday, you'd rather do anything else than shop for groceries. That's why we're happy to give our listeners the chance to get free delivery on your first Instacart order over $35. You'll get the products you love from your local stores in as fast as one hour. There's nothing quite like sitting down at the end of the day to be present for your family over a home-cooked meal, and takeout just doesn't feel the same. So if you find yourself needing groceries and considering getting takeout instead, get hand-selected products delivered straight to your door. Get free shipping on orders over $35 by using the link in the show notes. Well, Marisa, it's so good to have you on the Someone to Tell To podcast today. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me here today. So as we open our conversation here today, we just love to hear about you and your family's history as an indigenous people in the United States and what led you to do the advocacy work that you do and have previously done and now do for indigenous people. 
Yeah, so good afternoon. My name is Marisa Page. Um, my pronouns are she, her, hers. I'm a citizen of the Pawnee Nation, um, Skeety Band. I'm also Ponca and Comanche. Um, I come from the Page family on my father's side and the Gover family on my mother's side. Our tribes, um, Pawnee and Ponca, actually originated in Nebraska, but our family uh, was, well, the tribes were pushed down into Oklahoma, so that's where my family currently um, is from. And then Comanches roamed all over, so just um, all over Texas, Mexico, New Mexico, you know, we're finding evidence more north of even Oklahoma, as we thought, so it's very exciting. Um, my my family is actually has been very in a um, very into indigenous um, the indigenous movement has worked for indigenous peoples. Um, even my grandmother, mother who was a little um, old white lady, she was Irish, English, and Scottish. She worked for indigenous peoples a good chunk of her life, um, marrying my grandfather which it was very taboo to marry an Indian man back in the 1940s, 50s, but she married my grandfather. Um, so she's one of the strong ladies who has been part of my life, having um, worked with BIPOC communities before they were called BIPOC communities, help, helping to integrate the small town of Oklahoma named Lawton, and um, she worked again through tribal, through tribal um, nonprofits. She worked for the Texas Resource Center that actually um, helped prisoners get off death row. So that's some of the stuff that brought me to my advocacy work. Um, my mother has also worked for Indigenous Peoples. Her professional tenure. She's worked with tribes in many capacities doing natural resource stuff um, and actually uh, was on a committee when they were helping draft the United Nations Declaration Rights on, of Indigenous Peoples. So, I mean, I have lots and lots of history. Um, and so because I was raised with strong women, they in turn also introduced me to a lot of strong women whom became my aunties and my grandmas and helped me have to get where I currently am today. So I've, I've got to meet many indigenous, strong indigenous women, um, which is really exciting. LaDonna Harris um, and her daughter, Laura Harris, really also helped pave the way for me to be where I am as well. And where are you calling us from today? I am calling from Rio Rancho, New Mexico. We are a suburb of Albuquerque. Um, I don't say it's like 30 minutes from Albuquerque. It's like you throw a stone of foot and you're like right in Rio Rancho. And I um, am currently on Sega land. So I did want to um, acknowledge that I do occupy Sega land, which is not my homelands. You have a very impressive lineage, uh, you know, as you describe that and uh, obviously come from very strong, strong people. And that's uh, it, really good to hear. So I'm going to ask you, what is it about your work that inspires you the most? And where, it's kind of a three-part question, then, where uh, have you seen the greatest gains in your work? Where do you see the greatest challenges? Yes. I have been honored to work with indigenous peoples throughout my professional career and been lucky to be a part of a bigger global conversation as well. So I um, have worked with, you know, indigenous peoples from New Zealand, Samoa, Ecuador, Bolivia, and it's, it's been really exciting to um, work with, different groups, groups all over the United States, Alaska, Hawaii, you know, there are many tribes here in the United States, um, but all indigenous peoples insp inspire me. We are resilient. 
Um, we are here. We need our voices heard. We're strong. We have movement. And we're um, very active in community. This is in all capacities. So it's very inspiring to be with people who have gone through some of the same things that, um, you know, that each other has gone through, even though they're worlds apart. So um, early on, I made it a goal of mine to advocate and help Indigenous peoples in whatever capacities that I could. And I want to be part of that voice that helps things change and make things better and help heal and help, you know, recover. Um, so as far, to, as far as some of the games I have seen, um, there, there are a lot, but one of the biggest ones, I guess I can say is really seeing this movement of indigenous peoples into um, political power. You know, I, it was very awesome to see Secretary Holland get her position, um, you know, for a department that oversees tribes to never have had a secretary who was a tribal person is extremely disconcerting. So when you see Secretary Holland, this is, you know, hundreds of years of of um, natives not being correctly represented, but now she's there and she's doing some major things to help indigenous peoples around the country. Um, and there's also some, you know, some great political nonprofits that are helping indigenous peoples get elected. And um, it's great to see because, you know, as the saying goes, if you, aren't at the table, then you're probably on the menu. And that's definitely what has happened with tribal peoples. Um, and one of the biggest things that I keep um, thinking about is something that one of uh, executive director of the National Indian Child Welfare Association, her name is Dr. Sarah Costellic. She keeps um, talking about these recipes for colonization. And one of those, um, one of the items in the recipe is usurping a government. And, you know, this is really hitting me hard in this time when people came over to colonize us, they really usurped our governments because we had governments in place. So seeing those people get back into power and start making decisions and policies for us is extremely important. So that's one of the biggest gains. Also seeing um, our population numbers go up. It was very nice to see us um, go up to almost 10 million in the last census or as people identify as indigenous peoples. Um, so it's good to see, you know, where our, how our numbers dwindled. Now they're back up. And then um, some of the greatest challenges <laughs> Well, there's definitely a lot, and um, the COVID epidemic has brought out uh, a lot of challenges. Um, but, you know, just uh, one thing that Secretary Holland is doing for Native peoples is she created a task force for missing and murdered Indigenous women and relatives. And that's that's great to see because our people <laughs> are murdered, go missing on very alarming rates. And um, another big challenge that, that I will probably talk about a few times in this is the, um, is the Brackeen versus Holland case where they are trying to overturn the Indian Child Welfare Act. And it means more than what's on the surface and that, oh, well, you know, tribal peoples just um, want to protect their Indian children, which is absolutely true, we do. And they're being racist. This is a racist policy. Well, it's not. There's a lot more <laughs> um, under it, which is, you know, just this um, disregard for tribal sovereignty, which I'll get into a little later. So there's that. And then, um, you know, 
the blatant disregard of treaty rights where there's a lot of um, people still to this day who are being stopped from hunting on their lands, from from fishing, um, from being able to practice their beliefs. And, um, and then the brazen stealing <laughs> of our natural resources. Uh, there was a court case settled, I want to say now, it's probably about 15 years ago, where, you know, the United States admitted and gave money to a lot of people that they had just taken our resources on our land and not compensated us for it. So that's a, that's a big, <laughs> that's a big thing. And, um, you know, just the challenge that there's still a war against indigenous peoples. Uh, and we, we see that in definitely like the, um, like when you strip recognition of a federal tribe or you're not letting tribal peoples be sovereign, complete sovereign entities. So yeah, that's, those are just some of the challenges. (laughs) For sure. We have no doubt there are a lot more that you could discuss at length. Uh, just as a follow-up, I mean, what what are some of the common stereotypes that you hear um, about ing- indigenous people, and and how can cultural stereotypes affect indigenous people? The biggest misconception, I think, is that we all fit into this category that we all look the same, but um, it's. And that Oh, and that we're a relic of the past. People worldwide think that indigenous peoples don't even exist anymore, that tri- tribal peoples don't exist. One of my good friends, she is from Turkey, and she thought that all the Indians were dead. And that I was just like, wow, <laughs> I had actually never heard that <laughs> before. But I was like, no. I'm Indian and I'm still here. here. And she's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and she was, she, what she knew was from comic books. She said she used to um, look at comic books uh, about Comanches. And I, I thought that was cool too. But then I started thinking about, wow, like the people worldwide don't understand that indigenous people are still here. And, <laughs> And um, so like, I, it always makes me think about that. But yeah, and then this, um, we have very romanticized versions of indigenous peoples. I mean, we have Pocahontas and, um, and you know, many people don't know that Pocahontas um, was actually a, pre- a preteen when she met John Smith. So this idea that, you know, they fell in love or whatever it was, however the Disney movies go, it's it's actually, um, it's really sad that our history is distorted that way. Um, also, the thought that, you know, they're taking these stories and making it so that women, uh, indigenous women are sexualized Um And, you know, so that's, that's really um, a big misconception. There's, you know, even in our founding history, our founding stories, like the Indians and the pilgrims met for Thanksgiving and, you know, everything was great. Not that, you know, a little while after that, the pilgrims uh, killed (laughs) the tribes around them after they taught them how to hunt and cultivate the land. Um, so that's, that's also a big one as well, but, uh, another, the, one of the last things I'll talk about too, is just this caricature of, um, indigenous peoples. We all have this idea that, um, they look like these helmets, these jerseys, we have feathers, we're copper toned skin, and it's ridiculous. I mean, I look (laughs) different. You should see my families, my aunties. I I'm one of the shorter ones. They're like six foot tall. We all represent um, different shades. We all represent different heights. We all look different. My little um, Alexander is very light skinned, very very light skinned, and with blonde hair. 
And I always um, say that was my grandma, uh, my my little Irish, English, Scottish grandma coming to say, no, I'm still here. <laughs> like, um, but, but I think those are the big misconceptions and that we can't just be um, bottled into this um, character of the past as well. How does all that make you just feel? I mean, we we obviously are experiencing a bit of your sense of humor today, which I think is is vital uh, to be able to laugh about some of these things. But in all seriousness, I mean, just what are some of your feelings when when you hear some of these stereotypes? So we know that it really affects kids the most, and um, it's very sad because I think growing up, you know, where I I was. Uh, discriminated against, especially when I lived in Oklahoma. And then growing up as a teenager, when you have people talking about like, there's like, oh, those Indians. And then like, you know, um, it's really hard. So sometimes you are ashamed of who you are. And that was definitely me for a little while, because I saw all these negative portrayals. And then people making fun of you. So um, as I grew up and learned more and went to college and studied Indigenous peoples, I just, it makes me sad to think about being ashamed of being Indigenous, but um, it really got me to thinking and being proud of who I am and how we have persevered through many um, of attacks on our lives and for generations and hundreds of years. So it, it, it does affect many people in different ways, but yeah, you have to have a sense of humor and, you know, you get a lot of natives in a room and we, we all can make fun of each other, but you know, if an outsider comes and does it, you better get ready. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, um, but yeah, it's, it, it does, it's affects our children a lot. So I, when raising my kids, I definitely want to instill that pride and not have them um, be bombarded by those negative portrayals and stereotypes. You may have already answered some of this que- this next question in, in, in some ways. And if you can, love for you to maybe elaborate more if you can. What are some things you wish that uh, other people would learn from Indigenous people? The, th- the, th- you know, the, the things that you wish they knew are, are things, are cultural values that are, that are important that y- you wish the rest of the culture would know more about or have been misrepresented probably. Yeah. Yeah. I wish people would have um, more um, time studying indigenous peoples from an indigenous perspective. Uh, I know that in our history books, they're really making this about history after um, colonizers landed and they're not talking about the people who were here before who had complex trade routes, who had, you know, great civilizations, working societies, technology, advanced agriculture, advanced food systems, um, who had governments in place, who understood Uh, the natural world around them from equinoxes to solstices to rain. And, um, you know, I I wish that we gave more time to talk about Indigenous peoples um, and then also talk about the history of what happened to them in a real context. I, you know, I know that um, this idea of critical race theory is really taboo um, and, you know, talking about the history, but I think we keep making these same mistakes. So we need to know the history. Um, and 
it's it's really sad because we don't listen. Uh, we shut things off like, well, that wasn't, those were my ancestors, so why are you blaming me? And it's like, we're not blaming you. We just want you to know that this happened. We don't want it to continue happening we we deserve to be heard. We deserve our uh, to be listened to. Um, we deserve to be in the spaces that you are, and we deserve the representation. You know, if you look at the in our um, politics, while we have a almost a ten million person people on the census. Uh, that equals about 3% of um, the people in the United States, but that definitely does not represent, we're not represented in um, the numbers like we should in politics. So when policy is being made, it's not very friendly to us. So I think that's um, very important. Do you... um you you mentioned critical race theory and the 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 sense that some there seems to be a, a movement to ignore or not pay attention to or erase certain history and and not teach it uh for, you know about about this country in a variety of ways um that must first of all just that that must hurt I can only imagine how much that hurts or maybe even angers uh, you and you know and, and others in your community be, because it's it's den- it's as if they're not they're denying that you exist or are designed that you had a history or denying that you matter uh, in you know in this in this country so how does that can you say more about that how does what kind of feelings does that evoke when you see and hear that happening so when I was studying to get my master's degree, I was angry all the time reading, uh, actually in undergrad and <laughs> um, in my master's and just learning more about what history have left out. And you're like, there's so much more to us. And um, as as a young person, and I wasn't even so young when I got my master's, but as a young person, it did make me very angry. And my mom basically told me, like, you can't stay angry. You know, it eats away at you. It makes you do dumb things. So that's one of the things that I think about. And then, you know, when we talk about indigenous history, one of the things that my uncle Kevin talks about as indigenous history is United States history, you know, and I think that people don't understand that. <laughs> like we have been here as far as we're concerned since time immemorial. And um, the fact that we are being left out is absolutely absurd. <laughs> I, I, it's like, basically leaving i'm trying to think of a good example but it's you know you just when a people are here first but they're blatantly left out of history books you kind of wonder what the agenda is so so i think there is a bigger agenda to leaving indigenous peoples out and i think it goes back to that recipe um for colonization and Um, and it's something that happens all over the world. So it's not like it's new, but when people go in and take over other countries, the the indigenous peoples are somehow forgotten about. So many questions to ask you as in response to all of that. Um, one of the phrases that we use here at someone to tell to you as we listen to people's stories is that people don't heal if they don't first reveal. And, how do indigenous people truly heal if they can't ever reveal if, if, um, if they reveal and people aren't believing them, do they stop revealing? No, we keep on talking. We keep on having our voice heard. Um, I think you heal through talking, you know, being on stages like this, when I'm created a space like this, I'm very appreciative of that because 
our voices need to be heard. We're the ones that are appreciative because this is fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) We need to talk about all this stuff because it still exists. It's still going on. Um, So uh, healing, it, it is hard to heal. But I think, you know, with I've been, again, so lucky to be around indigenous, strong indigenous peoples, especially those women and uh, the strong women. And it's um, it, it helps you heal. Being around your people help you heal. And it's it's like when I go to um, a tribal ceremony or I go to a powwow, that helps me heal. Um, we recently went to um, a reception that had Maori people singing that helps me heal the beauty and the resilience of people helps me heal knowing that um, I am helping my children grow into well-rounded indigenous peoples knowledgeable helps me heal so while everything may not be revealed uh, as as I hope someday, you know, people will listen a little bit more. I mean, through these things, we are revealing and we are healing. So on on the big stage, it looks like, oh, well, we're being shut down. Our stories aren't being told. But the truth is you have to look for it. And um, even things like seeing a Comanche person on prey or Comanche tribe on prey. I don't know if you guys have seen that on hulu pray amazing yes it's it's about a comanche warrior woman that was part that's part of healing um and one of my um brother friends josh zuni i was an executive producer on his um short film called rude girl that's another way of healing um there's a lot of uh now mass media around reservation dogs yeah i'm throwing this all out here (laughs) Rutherford Falls, Dark Winds. We're healing because now we're finally seeing like pretty good, realistic portrayals. Of course, Prey is (laughs) fiction, but it's about the predator. (laughs) But I mean, it's great to see this because when you don't see yourself portrayed on screen and, you know, it's very um, non-inclusive, we'll say. (laughs) Uh, it's it's hard it's hard but I think that there is has become a big movement for indigenous peoples where we are being seen and heard a lot more than we were and this is has something also to do with the Black Lives Matter movement like it really brought to the stage some social justice um, some social justice issues so yeah there's so I know it may not look like that, but those are some of the ways that we are healing. Actually, a better term is social injustices than social justice, right? Yeah. Uh, some of the th- things that you've highlighted here, a couple words that you've used several times, uh, resiliency, perseverance. Um, you obviously are channeling, you've used the word anger, that you could be angry and bitter all the time, but that's obviously not a healthy way forward. How are you channeling all of that energy uh, for good? I mean, you're actively involved in First First Nations programs. Uh, could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, one of the ways that I do channel my anger has been working with um, Indigenous nonprofits. Um, I'm actually a development officer for First Nations, um, but First Nations is actually a place that I've wanted to work for, for for a long time. And I'm glad that I now get to work with great people who are doing wonderful things. Um, the organization is as old as I am. So if you want to Google it, you can find out how old I am. Um, <laughs> and and uh, we, won't, we, we won't started our... We're in the business of keeping secrets. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, it's not a secret. I, I actually had my birthday this month, <laughs> a couple of weeks Happy ago. Birthday. So <laughs> thank you. Um, but we're, do, you know, we started um, as a grant making program in 1993. 
we have successfully given over $55 million or almost $55 million to Native American projects and organizations um, in 44 states. We've also given um, projects in District Columbia and the District of Columbia and um, the U.S. Territory of Cibola. We are helping indigenous communities um, get the capital they need to have programs to do what they need to do to help their communities. And one of the best things um, where, you know, we're supporting these healthy Native communities um, and we're investing in that future for um, Native peoples. We believe in the genius of Native peoples so um, it's not like we're out there telling them, oh, you should be doing this. No, they come to us with what they want to do that will help their individual communities. And we are helping them succeed in those goals. So that is huge. Um, I, it's, it is really hard in the nonprofit sector when you're applying for grants and you have to apply for money, um, especially with indigenous communities, because um, philanthropic entities don't give as much money as they should to indigenous communities. We're basically below 0.004% in um, philanthropic giving. So that's what is brought into um, nonprofits, which is really sad because again, we still make up almost 3% of the population, but we're getting less, less than 1% of money is going through nonprofits. So it's, it is great to work for an organization that does help, you know, and we help in different avenues, um, you know, like financial empowerment. We're currently um, having a matching campaign for native youth. We do um, strengthening tribal and community institutions advancing household and asset building strategies. And then of course, nourishing native foods and health, big one, food sovereignty, huge. And then stewarding native lands. Um, so environmental justice issues. We're really trying to ensure that our indigenous communities um, thrive, that they survive all, all that's happening in the world. Um, so I, I just, I can't even say enough about the organization I work for. It is, I tell my bosses every day or all the time, I hope this is my last job. Mm. I really do because it is such a wonderful place with wonderful, intelligent, amazing people. Such good work. That's that's good to hear. That it's good to hear that you love your job, that you're passionate about it. It's very obvious from from the things you're saying how passionate you are about these issues, and 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 rightly so. Thank you for listening to the Someone to Tell It To podcast. Wonders Found Thrift Shop is proud to be one of its sponsors. Wonders Found is an all volunteer run thrift shop begun to support our mission team as they rebuild homes in disaster areas. We support local missions, people experiencing homelessness, veterans, and children and youth outreaches. We also provide clothing and household items to families displaced by fire or flood. You can learn more at our website, wondersfound.org, or stop in to see what wonders you can find at 7810 Allentown Boulevard, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. We hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast. Well, you, you mentioned that... Uh as far as getting grants and, and getting money that the percentage that, you know, that, that you get that, that is given to indigenous for indigenous, uh, you know, nonprofits. Why, why do you think that is? What, what is behind that low percentage rate um, of people being of, of organizations, non other, other, you know, funders being willing to help? Yeah. So there are books written. <laughs> about this um of why like I, and that's something that we have been um trying to figure out as well publications um and um i think the biggest reason is is because um 
I think a little, a lot, or not a little, a lot of philanthropic organizations don't understand the need. We, there's many misconceptions of tribal peoples and that ca- casinos must be helping them. Like there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of um, wealthy natives and that, um, or natives in those tribes, maybe not natives themselves, but tribal <laughs> tribal entities. Well, they should be helping natives, which is, which is, um, I think, you know, I think it's sad because a lot of our nonprofits aren't tied to one tribe. They're tied to many tribes. And just to let you know, there's really only a couple handful, uh, handfuls of tribes that are really successful gaming tribes. My, my tribe, for example, Pawnee. While we do well, we we also build infrastructure within our own communities. We put it back into what our tribal peoples need. And so there are things that, you know, communities need, like schools and elder centers and law enforcement. So when um, I think that those big entities forget that we're also here, we're doing great things around the country. But... um, but then also there's also that, you know, thought about um, where we may, maybe they're not seeing this. Let's just say that. I I know on CNN um, when they were doing some things after the election, they had um, like white, black, Asian, and something else. That's literally what they said to talk about indigenous people something else so i think that we are in that category of something else um so it's really sad that is a powerful statement that uh it's hard to even know how to respond yeah (laughs) wow tell us how you how how that makes you feel it's comical now (laughs) but it's infuriating Um, especially because indigenous peoples played a huge role in the, um, elections in 2020. I mean, we, we swung states like, um, Arizona and we, yeah. And it's, it's amazing what the power of natives can do. We do, we start, um, getting out the vote stuff, like (laughs) as soon as an election's done, and I believe we also swung um, Minnesota as well. So there th- we are very powerful in numbers. And I think that, um, you know, when we're categorized as something else, again, it disenfranchises us <laughs> and forgets who we are, forgets that we're here, again, makes us a relic of the past. Um, and also makes people ignorant to uh, to indigenous peoples on a whole. You're like, wow, <laughs> something else, because we have Alaska Natives, we have Native Hawaiians, we have, you know, American Indians, um, and, and, and then we also have our indigenous brothers and sisters from all over the world coming up or coming here. Um, so something else, uh, I don't yeah, it's it's funny to think about now, but it, it was absolutely infuriating, especially when we played such a big role in some of the elections that happened this year. So maybe um, what would be some actions need to be taken to forge new relationships between indigenous and non-indigenous people? Get involved, start learning, start reading about the people in your area. Um, I think that, you know, people, I have, um, I have a really good group of people that I've been working with, um, you know, become an ally. That's, there's just, you know, even Google, like how to be an ally and actually one of the, (laughs) how to be an indigenous ally. And I'll put this out there for first nations is we have, um, a publication called reclaiming native truths. And it kind of goes into 
uh, the conceptions or misconceptions of Native peoples and then like how to rectify those um, misconceptions and also um, how to befriend Indigenous communities. But yeah, I, I think for me, the biggest one is like researching. We're all on Native land. So like, if you don't know whose land you're, you're, you've settled on, you've occupied, that's one of the first things you should find out. Who are the people who were there before you? And go from there. Um, but also try to read uh, about Indigenous peoples. There are so many wonderful books out. Um, and one of the ones that I like are All the Real Indians Died Off, and it's 20 Myths. Um about American Indians, I think that's the title, but it's by Roxanne Dunbar Ortiz. And it kind of talks about everything that I've been talking about. But just, you know, making yourself um, knowledgeable, (laughs) helping yourself grow, helping yourself learn, uh, going to different webinars, and there's a lot out there. Um, First Nations has a lot of webinar series. that you can always find on our website um but you know just just try a little i i think that's we're all taught you know a lot about a a, about everything but i mean even like the tulsa race riots i i love how that's actually coming into the media now and we saw that through like watchmen like i didn't know about it i wasn't taught in school but once I did learn about it, I sure as heck um, <laughs> went and researched it. So, like, we all should grow as people and we should all should learn the history of our country, even if it makes us uncomfortable. And I think that's the biggest thing is that when people feel uncomfortable, they tend to deny it or they tend to not want to hear about it. And that's, you know, I'm sorry, but this is, this happened. And we should all be ever evolving, I should say. Uh, uh, there are no, so many things to, 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 in response uh, uh, to that. Um, first, I just I want to say we out the window behind us is the Susquehanna River. Uh, it, it cuts through um, eastern Pennsylvania. We're, we're sitting right on that river, uh, and that is named after the Susquehanna tribe of Native Americans. And I grew up also along the river further south. But I'll be honest, I don't think I was taught anything in school about, about indigenous people from this area and what, what the Susquehanna, who they were, what they were, what they did. Um, you know, and I feel really... As I'm, you know, as you're talking and I'm thinking, it's like how little I know about about those people who uh, you know for whom this river is is named. So um, anyway, uh, that's that's just one thing that I think is it, I need to do some more research and more reading and understanding. And secondly, you you had mentioned a number of resources, a number of books. Would you be willing to email us and and list give give us a list? of some resources that we can share so that people who hear this episode uh, might, might themselves want to be, might be inspired to, to read, to, to check it out and to, to understand more because it really, that's as a listening organization, that's what we're about. Knowing people, getting to know who people are, getting to know what motivates them, getting to know their history and their past and, and that's what you're doing. That's what you're doing too, and we we strongly believe in that. And um, yeah, so you could help in a, in a big way to get more information out there, and just just send it to us, and we'll we'll share it. Absolutely, I have many books <laughs> <laughs> that you all should read. Um, but yes, I am. I really help, hope that people, you know. Um, will contact me my my information's on first nations website i'm 
you know, I want to answer those questions. I want to be able to help. I think that we should be talking more about Indigenous peoples. Um, So, yeah, I, I have lots of books. I have lots of places to go, lots of organizations to talk about. Well, Marisa, uh, we are, as Michael mentioned, uh, an organization devoted to listening. And maybe you could, for our listeners today, maybe inspire all of us to not only do our homework, but also um, to be more intentional about listening to Indigenous people. And, And maybe you could walk us through what that could look like. That looks like so many things um, to me. I I think, you know, like I said, learning, respecting as well, um, seeking out those opportunities to even meet with Indigenous peoples, um, go see open ceremonies, powwows, go to uh, museums. I think also, you know, one of the things that I have been talking about and some of the stuff, the other stuff that I've been doing was, um, this is not a political statement, but it is like getting vaccinated is extremely important to indigenous communities because we were so disproportionately affected by COVID. Um, a lot of us had many relatives die and a lot of them were elders. They were our knowledge keepers, our language keepers. And now, you know, languages are dying off extremely quickly because of COVID. Um, but that that's a big one for me right now. Um, you know, keep respecting, again, respecting people and keeping them safe. So, If you are going into an indigenous community, you know, please be vaccinated. Please wear your masks. Um, Please respect the wishes or stay out because there's, I know in um, New Mexico, there's a couple of pueblos, maybe even more than a couple that are still close to the public. So just, just having that, um, I want to call it just humanity, (laughs) Um, but also, again, how, just putting yourself out there, learning, researching, um, get involved. Uh, you know, um, yeah, that's, I think that's, we have a lot to teach. I mean, as again, as far as we're concerned, we've been here since time immemorial. So we have the indigenous ways of knowing, which is a, Phrase coined by Dr. Greg Cajete, um, but, you know, listen to us while we have um, been part of the agriculture, our prayers lay all over the, you know, <laughs> the land here, and our ceremonies have honored the cosmos. We understand what it is to um, interact with Mother Earth, with fellow human beings, and I think that you know, we still have those answers. And uh, one of our things is the future is indigenous. Um, and I, I think that uh, it, it's we need to listen to our indigenous brothers and sisters. Um, and just, to, just some fun facts. Um, so in the world, 5% of the population is indigenous. We hold 25% of the land tenure. We play a vital role in 80% of the world's diversity, um, having domesticated 60% of the food eaten all over the world today. So, you know, when you think of us, again, we're not relics of the past. We're here. We are part of your everyday life. We're, you know, pretty much if you're in the United States, you see us in everything from um, the name of your state to different street avenues you um, are on. Plus, we're, our ancestors cover <laughs> cover the land, and their, again, their prayers cover the land. We're here um, in so many different ways. And, and I think, you know, another big way of respecting us is helping take care of 
our earth and um, protecting our future. Thank you. You've, you've left us in, very inspired today. And for that, we're grateful. Uh, one of the things that we say, because we're an organization devoted to listening and when people reach out for support, we, we call everybody someone. So you're someone, I'm someone, Michael's someone, we're all someone. And we always remind people when they reach out for the very first time that we're just really proud of them for sharing their story because it's, it's not always an easy thing to do. Um, and so today we're just really proud of you for sharing and being willing to share your story, your authentic story with us and our listeners today. The uh, indigenous communities have a very articulate spokesperson and uh, in you, and um, we know that you're making a difference. We know that you are helping people to understand and perceive so much more than they ever have before. And um, we hope you we hope you are proud of that because uh, we we see what you're doing and we know how important it is. So thank you. Thank you, Marisa, for being with us today. Thank you for sharing all that you have. And thank you for the information that you will share with us that we can then put out there for others uh, to, to see and, and have as well. So we appreciate this very, very much. Thank you so much. I'm very honored to be a guest on your podcast. I, um, I appreciate your very kind words. And I am, again, um, when you put this out there, my, my email is on our First Nations website. I'm happy to answer questions. Um, I'm happy to talk with people. So thank you guys. Thank you for creating this space. Like I said, creating this space also is a first step and, you know, being mindful about Indigenous people. So thank you. Thank you. You know, I, I have to admit that one of the things that I um, feel bad about with this conversation is how little I know about the Susquehanna River. And I grew up literally along the Susquehanna River my whole life. And now we have an office that's along the Susquehanna River. And we're, we're, it's right outside our window as we, as we, yeah, we do have our homework to do. And as we're recording this podcast, realizing that we know so very little about the Susquehanna people and those who originally were from this area and, and for whom the river is, is named. So I, I definitely want to learn more. I need to learn more because um, it's definitely part of my, my history and my past because I grew up in this area. So um, I'm going to do some research. One of the things I know I highlighted in the middle of the program was just some of the language that she used several times about the indigenous peoples being resilient, persevering, just rising above their challenges and finding a way forward. I just appreciate her positivity and I know it's not easy. I can't even imagine how difficult it must be but they are doing their very best to find a way forward um, to make sure their voices are heard, to make sure that their history is honored, um, to make sure that they are valued for who they are. And I just want to add that they're using their hurt and their anger about what's happened and how they've been treated throughout history. They're using it for the good. And people like her are channeling that, those feelings and those emotions into advocacy, into um, helping, helping their, their communities to find ways above it, to find ways through it, and to find ways to help all indigenous people uh, be heard and be known, be listened to, and um, to use that those feelings in a positive, in a positive manner is uh, is very very admirable, and it's great to talk with someone who is. So, just wanted to thank all of you for joining us in this program in this conversation today. Thank you for listening with us. We know that it's in hearing stories like this that change happens. Um, and that's the first place to begin. And so thank you for walking literally and figuratively, as we mentioned in the introduction on Holy Ground with us during this hour. We just encourage you, if you're an active listener to the Someone to Tell To podcast, we are a nonprofit and we just value your support so much. You help make these 
conversations possible. So we encourage you to go to our Patreon page and support our work as, as little as just a few dollars a month makes such a big difference for us. It helps us find incredible guests like Marisa and others. In addition, uh, just one of the things that I know Michael and I do a lot of is we listen to a lot of other podcasts. And if you have an episode in particular that you would love to highlight, just share it with five people in your network. Think of five people who would benefit from the program and just click that send button and subscribe to our program. Uh, All of that helps us tremendously. And so we're just so grateful and we look forward to joining you in next week's conversation until we listen again.